it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, it's Wednesday, which means we have armchair politics coming up in uh, about an hour or so for two hours of commentary and analysis um, about the headlines from the worlds of politics and current events. Our roundtable regulars, of course, will be here. That's uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki, on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right. They'll be joined today uh, by one of my favorite presidential camp uh, candidates from 2016 uh, who served as a high-ranking government official in two presidential administrations from Mississippi. Mark Everson will be joining us uh, for today's roundtable. Now, we're going to have to switch things up a little bit. I had scheduled... uh, a uh, an interview with um, Flint Mayor Sheldon Neely for this morning, and I just tried to reach him and was not able. And I'm not sure exactly what that means, but also scheduled for this morning uh, was a conversation I had with um, GOP uh, candidate for governor, uh, Tudor Dixon, um, interviewed her. A few days ago and um, planned to but what I'm gonna do is switch it around and start with the interview with Tudor Dixon and then uh, hopefully we'll get connected with the mayor and uh, be able to include that um, in this uh, in this first hour leading up to armchair politics in the meantime I'll uh, I'll go ahead and and uh, turn it over to that conversation with gubernatorial candidate uh, Republican Tudor Dixon. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, My next guest is um, one of the five GOP candidates for Michigan governor in the primary coming up on August 2nd that made it to the ballot. (laughs) And we're going to talk with with her and... uh, she joins me by phone, Tudor Dixon. Tudor, uh, good morning and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, Tudor, has um, Donald Trump endorsed anybody in the... In the- 
Well, we're going to have the uh, complete conversation with Tudor Dixon coming up a little later in this hour. But as promised, we start out today's show with a conversation. Uh, we're going to talk about the um, pension funds for the city of Flint and what's gone on with the recent uh, contributions to that fund by the state and get that all explained with Flint Mayor and uh, <laughs> who's also running for re-election in next Tuesday's uh, primary, but uh, Flint Mayor Sheldon Neely joins me by phone. Good morning, Sheldon. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. How are you guys? And I, I hope everything is well with your listening audience as well. Um, let's talk about that. It, it started out as an announcement that, that uh, the state had put in its budget $170 million that was going to be added to shore up Flint's uh, pension accounts and then almost as soon as people realized that money was there another 50 million showed up um, how did that all, how did that all happen yeah it, it was an intentional move you know as it relates to it so the chronology of all of it starting started back to uh, back in November 2019 having a great understanding of what uh, the, the structural deficit was for a city like Flint the city of Flint, you know, had a, had a structural deficit, and this had been projected for many years, uh, more than a decade and a half, from emergency managers and previous administration, that they knew they were going to hit a wall because the cost for our pension system. Uh, our pension system has uh, four retirees to every one working employee inside the city of Flint, and the cost for that uh, was rounding out about about forty million dollars uh, next year. We're currently paying thirty-two million dollars this year. Previously, we were, we were paying about $21 million. And so those, those costs were growing, and it was not sustainable based upon the revenues that the city of Flint uh, were collecting. So insolvency uh, it was not a matter of if, but it was a matter of when it was going to happen. And people kicked the can down the road, never addressing it, never bringing it to the people's attention. Um, and this was devastating. It could have been devastating for the city of Flint and also the retirees and Genesee County. Um, we, we just looked down the road to see what happened inside the city of Detroit when this same thing happened when they went bankrupt and retirees lost about 17, between 17 and 20 percent of their retirement uh, in the renegotiations of it and also a lot of medical. So we championed this the very first day in office. We said that we set forth and said this was going to be one of our priorities. Uh, this was high, high hanging fruit. We went after this uh, wholeheartedly uh, and engaged our partnerships with the state. Also, the state delegation that served there and the, the governor, uh, we hired consulting firms, uh, put embedded staff in place, and then went after uh, the measurement to try to correct this problem. So through our efforts, uh, not only the city of Flint has been saved, uh, uh, there's been 18 other communities uh, throughout the state of Michigan has benefited from our proactive activity and the way that we engage legislation. So the original number for $170 million um, would have not got us to the goal. Uh, it was another $50 million uh, that was needed to get our pension system to a 60% funding ratio where we can handle it. Uh, previously, we were about 26% funded. So that's when an additional $50 million was announced that we needed to get to that particular place, and the governor signed that, uh, and that's going to be infused into our budget, uh, reducing our cost for our pension system to about 50% of what it could have been. So... Uh, thus giving us about $11 more million to work with uh, inside the city of Flint for public safety, 
uh, your economic development, and other things, but it stabilizes Genesee County. You know, we have 33 units of government inside of Genesee County. We are the core of Genesee County, and we are uh, now stabilizing our region. And this is a game changer, so now we can do many more things, but it, it was intentional. We went after this, and we accomplished it. Can, uh, Mayor, can you explain how this, how this helps long term? Because if, if I just, it seems like there's something like $400 million that needs to be available for the, the pension fund, and the 170 and the 50 end up at 220. There's still, it seems like $180 million short. And that's, and to a casual observer, it looks like you're coming up $180 million short in the first year or in 2023, whenever this kicks in. Yeah, but uh, that, that's on the assumption that we didn't have any money at all. So we had money already there. We, 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 were, we weren't uh, completely flat in that, in that financial line item. Uh, we had money. We still have money there to the tune of about maybe $160,000 Sixty million dollars uh, that's currently still there, which had us at a, a 26 percent funding ratio between twenty percent, twenty six percent, and thirty four percent. that fluctuated due to the market, but that's that's the money that we still have uh, currently there, uh, making making uh, making up that difference in which you just talked about. But it's not a hundred percent funded, but it definitely leaves us in a manageable and fiscal position to where we can manage it. And so that's why. Moving forward, it, it takes sound mind and critical thinking to get us to uh, a stabilization plan that's going to keep us stabilized moving forward. Now, don't current aren't current employees being steered toward a different retirement system? Yeah, new employees. You know, the system changed. You know, um, all pension systems in America has kind of changed, right? You know, right back. Uh, Previous years, you know, you had a good pension system with, you know, federal government, federal employees, city employees, municipal, uh, engaging uh, type of um, uh, pension systems, right? Those things became uns uh, unsustainable. You know, even General Motors and a private corporation, um, they could not sustain that model. And so now you see a more uh, diversified pension system or retirement plans, which are 401ks uh, and, and different types of, of, of uh, mixtures to be able to help help people save money, tax deferred, or tax, uh, uh, you know, uh, not not you know not non tax dollars going into a savings uh, for 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 uh, employees. When employees, uh, the employees that are that are retired now, they paid into this system, and is that where the existing money is coming from, or, or are current employees still paying into that system? Both. You know, and that's why I use the Horatio in giving you an example that we have four retired employees for every one active working employee currently. And so now the system is, 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 is not balanced because you have one individual put into money into the system where it supports four. Um, uh, you know, it all, every, every system had to have a start. Um, and so uh, the, the, the uh, intellectual minds of the past, you know, when they started the system, they said, okay, we're going to have employees pay into a system for 21 years, 25 years, or 30 years, and then they can start collecting up on that. 
the way to sustain the system, um, you have to have continuous revenue streams that's going into that. And so um, with the loss in population and other revenue streams uh, to support a municipal a municipality like the city of Flint, you know, when we have public safety, city workers, um, uh, infrastructure, you know, we, we support that from our tax base. Uh, and so for our property tax basis. And so, um, but the pension system is, is definitely in there. And so we have many, many uh, needs and we have different funding streams, uh, but it mostly all comes from our tax base. And then also for our retirees, it comes from an employee base as well. Does that mean with the, with the change in the um, uh, retirement system for new hires and new employees that, that one employee that you compare to the four retirees, does that mean that that employee is paying into a retirement system that they won't collect from? No, no, not not, not at all. You know, because it sounded like that a little bit, and that's why I wanted to go back and pick that up. Um, no, no, the, 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 you know, the question, the original question I thought you asked was. What system are the current employees paying into, and how does the retirement system look for those individuals that's currently paying into the system? It's a different type of model. Uh, we have several different models. You know, I'm not a, I won't be a benefactor of the old prior system uh, that was in place a long time ago. My age bracket, uh, when you talk about uh, being 50 years of age, uh, it's very hard to have a pension system in which people always recognize much like General Motors or the federal government or state state and city government, those systems just, just does not exist in our environment anymore. So so take my investment pool, right? <clears throat> you know, for the 3 or $4 that I, I currently have and I invest, it's, it's in a 401k plan and a defined pension system. And, and the city of Flint has a system like that for the current employees as they migrate through the system before they retire. So... Uh, but their dollars definitely go into also help support um, our system uh, that's in place now for those for those retirees, and so it, it's a combination. And it's uh, yeah. Uh, let me let me let me see if I if I've got this right because the original question was the money that's in the retirement fund um, that was already there. Where did that money come from? And and I asked if. Um, existing workers were paying into that system and it sounded like like you said they were but now it sounds like maybe the existing employees in flint are um, participating in a variety of plans depending on when they hired in correct uh oh. current and old right current and old uh, before, you know, the, the system and the city of Flint... Sheldon, up Sheldon I, yeah. I, I hate to stop you there, and we can pick this up, but I, I need to take a break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can pick up on this? Absolutely. Okay. My guest is Flint Mayor Sheldon Neely. We're talking about uh, retirement and, uh, and, more importantly, the future of retirement, and we'll probably talk a little bit about the uh, city's budget as well. When we return, we're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming, we have some messages Hello as well. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about uh, the City of Flint's pension fund with uh, Flint Mayor Sheldon Neely. Sheldon, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and as always, sorry to make you sit through all that. Well, okay, I got a chance to hear you got a chance to hear what? <laughs> uh, some very, very good voices, but I didn't get a chance to hear mine again on that one. I got to make sure you got me in that loop some type of way. Well, it it is. Um, it's it's the one where uh, you say Tom's my friend. Oh, okay, okay. That was uh, that was you saying that, and then there's one that comes up later in the show. In fact, uh, maybe I'll dig it up and play it before we're done, just just so you hear it. Um, but the um, yeah, what the heck? I got it right. <laughs> I got it right here. Here we go. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. <laughs> there you uh, go. Uh, thank you for that. I, I must have been waking up very early in the morning to put that drop. I didn't sound very enthused uh, uh, when I made that. We got to put a more energetic. Uh, uh, lean, lean, uh, Marion machine, uh, uh <laughs> well, we'll have to write up something, uh, something special, but, um, in the meantime, just before the break, Mayor, we were talking about the, um, the fact that, that <clears throat> all the current city employees, um, may belong to different retirement systems depending on when they hired in. And you were explaining how some of that works, and I had to cut you off. Yeah, but just to go back a little bit, take a few steps back, you know. Sure. uh, The city was fully encased, and it was fully, you know, uh, self-reliant upon its own system. We had a a retirement system, and the the program retirement system was called FERS. And that was the Flint retirement system. Uh, it was governed by a nine-member board, right? Uh, some were elected uh, by their collective bargaining units, fire, police, uh, hospital. Uh, Hurley Hospital was a part of this system as well, this retirement system called first. So that system was managed by uh, the board, right? Uh, elected and appointed individuals to that board first. Emergency managers came in to the city of Flint um doing around 2011 and just a little bit after that but the 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 marching orders for those financial managers they could only engage in systems that were not profitable or not uh or or not uh seen uh, that where they could could be survive survive uh through economic ecosystem so so the system at that particular time was uh, was funded about 80 percent when it was under the city of Flint's control 80% 80% or so. But then the emergency managers uh, did some different things with board members, uh, moving board members around in and out, and then the board took a vote to uh, transfer the system from FERS to MERS, and that's where the current system is now. MERS is a, is a, a consortium of all uh, or a lot of state um, uh, employees as well as other municipalities joined at the state. Uh, that is not managed or does not have, uh, you know, we don't have control over that system and the investments of that. that. So about $475 million at that time was transferred out from FERS to MERS. Um, after that, you know, it was some very bad investment years. Um, funding was, was uh, dwindled away based upon 
on, on that. And so now it gets us to a point where we're only about maybe $160 million or, or less into that system. Uh, and with that new system, uh, it changed the way that we had to make our contributions into that system, uh, taking it from 30 years to 20 years, which increased uh, the level of payment. I know it's a lot of, until, you know, little details here, but we do understand it. You know, we, we are uh, fully engaged. We are uh, a working administration where we have a great understanding of all these things, uh, just not in a ceremonial fashion. But well, I, I want I want to ask a couple of quick questions about this because I think a lot of people get the impression that because the city has lost revenue and and has fewer employees, that that's the, at the heart of all the problems that you might incur with a retirement system. But there are part of the revenue for that that retirement system comes from investments that you've mentioned a couple of times and when there are problems with the stock market that impacts it too so when we had some real hits on the economy by and I'm thinking like 2008 and that that the housing bubble and the big recession that happened there um, a lot of people and a lot of retirement programs took a hit back then. So it isn't all just about Flint losing revenue. No, not, not at all. Uh, but it's more to simplify for, for uh, the novice, and I, and I am in that particular category. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm way behind you. Right. Uh, it's just about our obligations, right, our payments. What do we owe and how do we have to pay it, right? And so what we have income and then we have outcome, right? Income is what we uh, pull in. And then the outcome is what we spend out, right? So this is, was one of our bills, our annual bills that we had to keep current on. Now, um, over uh, a period of time, you know, that, that obligation to pay grew and grew and grew, right? And they saw this. The emergency manager saw this. The previous administration saw this. No one wanted to, to tackle it. They kicked the can down the road just ignoring it. But this was, this was going to be intimate, uh, intimate engagement with, with insolvency if it was continuing to grow. So if you look at it on the scale, you know, back in 2019 or so, we were paying about $20 million, 2020, about $22 million, $20, $21 million in that category. But the projected uh, obligation from us uh, moved us up to where now we're paying $30, $32 million, right? And the projections for the next couple of years will be $40 million of what we have to pay. Now, with the level of revenues that we have coming in, we only generate so much revenue uh, from our property taxes, income taxes, and different things, and also what, what, what employees also contribute to the system. So that obligation comes uh, that we had was at a, would have been at a $40 million obligation, leaving us with very little to support the activities inside the city, which then will be insolvent. If you have more money going out than you have coming in, you have a, a real serious issue, and then there's ultimately a collapse. So that's why uh, when I came into office just two and a half years ago, right, uh, four months prior to a pandemic, that still remained priority number one. While we were sheltered in place, um, my administration was still working on the problem that was kicked down, uh, kicked down the road. Um, through the blessings uh, of, of, of good negotiations, good strategies, we were able to negotiate um, from our parent. You know, the state is the parent of, of all municipalities, villages, and townships uh, to be able to come in to assist us. 
19, well, 18 other communities by ourselves was facing some of the same issues. Uh, Detroit being the biggest example, they went, they were insolvent. They had to renegotiate their pension systems. People lost, um, and so it, it hurt families. Um, so we were able to put in legislation, writing legislation um, uh, to be able to support those communities, 19 communities inside the state of Michigan, to be able to say, "Hey, listen, uh, we're going to have this problem. This is a growing problem, and there's no way around it unless." we'd be able to get some help from uh, our parent, which is the state of Michigan. So this made it a bipartisan engagement, you know, Republican, Democrat, both working because some communities are uh, majority Democrats uh, and some communities are majority Republican, but face the same issues. So we were the, 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 the tip of the blade leading the way, uh, trying to get this legislation perfected in uh, uh, Lansing. It, it was introduced by our state delegation, uh, in a bipartisan way to whereby the ideas were there and we generated the legislation and made it through the House and got to the Senate. But it was only approved for $100 million initially, and that was the cap. The cap was $100 million that was approved uh, by the legislators uh, in Lansing, uh, thus still not resolving the issue inside the city of Flint because we had more serious issues in the city of Flint uh, than, than the other communities. And so we needed that $220 million to get us to that 60 percentile to whereby we can um, handle handle our pension uh, obligation ourselves. And so um, uh, through uh, negotiations and more terms, uh, we got it to 170, but we needed 220, and that's how we got to the 220, which will get us at a 60 percent funding rate ratio, which now makes my, our obligation, instead of $40 million uh, in the next year or so, it uh, will be $19 million. So you have a, like $11 million swing in our obligation in the way we have to pay our bills. And so very complex, but it is definitely... Yeah, definitely, how, does, how does that work long term? Oh, well, long term, you know, it's, you know, we wouldn't have, we, you know, we pay about, you know, 50% of what we would have had to pay, but then allowing us to handle uh, our obligation uh, to be able to manage, manage uh, our finances so we wouldn't be upside down uh, as it relates to... Um, you know, the revenues that we collect versus the, the, the dollars we have to pay out. Now, does that free up money where, when you have to pay into that fund? Where does that money come from? And, and with, what, uh, something like $11 million in savings? Uh, um, and, and maybe it's more. I, that was just a, a figure well, I picked it, up on. It, but it, 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 You can define it as in savings or as a less of an obligation, Right. So, uh, you know, our city budget, you know, we, I passed three consecutive balanced budgets uh, that's required by law uh, in my two and a half years. You know, I came in and I had to very quickly, you know, do a few things, you know, uh, start and complete the 2020 census count, uh, put a budget together very, very quickly. Uh, so that's why I have passed three consecutive budgets uh, in two and a half years. Uh, but we had an understanding and know how to get it done. Uh, so. Uh, our revenues for, you know, that we're paying out um, uh, this year, you know, uh, we have about a $64 million um, around that range of our obligations and our budget that we just presented and passed. Uh, you know, well, it passed with not one amendment from city council. So, therefore, you know, and it takes five votes to get any budget passed. So, uh, the three consecutive budgets that we put forth are solid budgets beyond all the level of dysfunction that you see on council. We're able to get those things accomplished and across, um, but about sixty-four million dollars. But our projected re revenue stream was only about fifty-six million dollars, right, uh, from property taxes and other things. 
So now you see that we had more money going out than we had money coming in, but the pension system payment was built into our, our outgoing income. So now, so we're we, you know now with that reduction uh, moving forward, you know uh, we will now be uh, pretty much flush. We can now really yeah, that's what I, that's what I was trying to get at, and and calling it calling a, 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 a release from obligation savings. Um, does does that mean that that there's less demand on the city's budget for the the pension system and and does that free up some money to do other things with or is absolutely it just not. or is it yeah, just a yeah. matter of balancing well no no absolutely and, and now we now you understand what it is now we can enhance services you know we've been working uh, to enhance services um, and, and move things forward and now we're in a position to be able to do that. You know, um, we have, um, in the first time in 10 years, we have our, uh, our largest unions, we were able to give them a contract. They haven't had a contract uh, in 1,600 asthma workers in 10 years. They wouldn't, wouldn't, wasn't able to get a contract in the levels of increase that they deserve. We've done that. Uh, 1799 is asking as well. Uh, we've been able to get them a contract and give them a level of increase. We did that. Police, fire. We gave them contracts where others didn't. Uh, we have been working very hard, and, uh, and it's been less time for me to take victory laps for all the great things that we've been doing inside the city uh, versus, uh, you know, um, getting the work done. And so we just look for the great opportunity in the next couple months or so uh, to be able to show all the great work that we have done, historic work, because this is the largest amount of money um, that the state of Michigan has given to uh, the city of Flint ever, the largest amount ever and so and that also in that uh the the medallas is giving other programs like say st mars church for their outreach programs or hamilton Healthcare, care um, or the boys and girls club or burston field house uh, or the sylvester boom empowerment center all of those are still programs that's, that's the providing services for residents inside the city of flint that receive dollars from this state allocation and so that, that that's really speaking to the intentional move that we made uh, to go after these additional dollars. And we're still seeking more. Um, and and um, that, that speaks to the level of partnership that we have with the governor. And we, her and I have a great relationship um, on personal and uh, political and a vision uh, standard. You know, that's why she supports this administration uh, because of those great works that we've done and also the leadership that we've had uh, in the state of Michigan. So going forward, things are, are looking a little brighter. Um, it's, it's one thing to get the, um, the, the city finances under control, but what about for the citizens of Flint? What's, what's on the horizon? We've got about three and a half minutes left, uh, Mayor. Right. Um, but what's, what's on the horizon for, for the citizens? Are, are there jobs? Um, what do we see coming down the road? Yeah, a lot of it. You know, you described it a little bit brighter, but it's life versus death as far as we're looking at uh, the life of a municipality. Now it gives us opportunity to put money into economic development, economic growth. And it's no secret now that we have signed a contract to sell Buick City, the thir third largest brownfield site in the state of Michigan, with a $300 million deal. Uh, with a corporation that's coming in here, it's going to bring uh, about 3,000 to 4,000 jobs in this region at the old Buick City site. Uh, that is a game changer. That is on the horizon. 
we uh, engaged that with our economic development machine, and we brought that home uh, for the residents of the city of Flint. And so that is bigger and brighter on the horizon for economic development. As far as recreation, we have a state park allocation uh, here, the state park in the old Chevy in the whole area uh, there, and also the old Mott Park golf course. We're looking at expanding that project to include all of the old Mott Park golf course real estate into that. And so um, developing uh, historic neighborhoods like the St. John neighborhood, we have put uh, about a quarter million dollars to that activation and started the committee. We have done these measurable things in just a short time. And this Saturday, uh, we're renaming our fire headquarters, fire station headquarters, um, right downtown uh, after the first um, African-American firefighter, uh, Joe Davis, Jr., in 1961. He was the first uh, African-American firefighter hired into a department with about 400 other employees. Uh, he worked at post about uh, seven years before another African-American was hired in. And it was just a, just a very difficult time for our nation. This is before the Bill of, uh, the Civil Rights Bills were signed uh, by Lyndon Johnson. Uh, and so we recognized him this Saturday at 1 o'clock uh, of the renaming of our fire headquarters, Fire Station 1, the Joe Davis Jr. Uh, fire Station. Well, Mayor, that wraps it up for today, but I really appreciate you explaining these things, and, and hopefully we'll get together again soon and talk about some more aspects of city government that, that maybe the residents don't always completely understand. Well, I hope I was able to bring some clarity to confusion. Uh, definitely, um, we want to make sure we have a, a working understanding with our partners, the residents, our neighbors, and friends. And thank you, for Tom, uh, for taking the time to uh help enlighten the community and god bless you my friend all right take care good luck that was uh, flint mayor sheldon neely now the last few weeks i've been trying to get all of the uh the gop uh candidates for michigan governor on the show and and i've done pretty well there are two that that i haven't had yet uh, garrett soldano and uh tudor dixon well, I finally did uh, get together with Tudor Dixon, and we chatted a little bit, and we'll have that conversation coming up in uh, just a moment or so. And that leaves just one that I didn't get to. But uh, don't forget armchair politics coming up at the top of the hour. Old-fashioned For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, My next guest is... um, one of the five GOP candidates for Michigan governor in the primary coming up on August 2nd, 
that made it to the ballot. <laughs> and we're going to talk with uh, with her, and uh, she joins me by phone, Tudor Dixon. Tudor, uh, good morning and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, Tudor, has um, Donald Trump endorsed anybody in the in the primary yet? No, he has not come into this race. I, I find that interesting, and it seems, it, it, is it all but one that are hoping to get an endorsement from him? I don't know. I mean, I, I can't speak for the other candidates. I've spoken with President Trump a few times, and he's been positive, just, you know, said the goals in a political race are to get your numbers up, and we've been working on that, and you know, I, I appreciate the fact that he's commented on the campaign a couple times. Well, there was a um, debate this week, and um, I, I happened to see it. Um, as as we're recording this, it was last night. I watched it this morning, but um, it it seemed like in the uh, in the debate there was a lot of. Um, wrangling between the uh between the candidates is there that much difference in the in the candidates um in this primary you know i think that beliefs are very similar with amongst the candidates i'm sure there's not something that they would come out and say well you know tudor is this much different on this i just think it's style and ability to gather the right group of people. And, and I think that's the difference in the candidates is who can actually get into government and lead and bring the right people along. And you'll see that some of the candidates who were, who are polling behind are coming out and, and pretty viciously going after me that they, they have this term establishment. And like you're making the point, I mean, we are all coming out of a place of not having held office. Um, I've, never been involved in Republican political meetings before I ran for office. So I think this is what you saw in the debate was a desperate attempt to try to catch the lead, catch up in polling. Now, if I if I ask who you think is going to be the best candidate to put up against Gretchen Whitmer from the GOP, you're going to say you, right? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how that works. What about the idea of gender? Women are are winning offices more and more in the last uh, very few years. And I just wonder if it wouldn't be tactically significant to have a woman running against uh, a female incumbent. You know, it's interesting because you're right. There are women taking office more and more. And if you even look at 2020, more women on the Republican side won than any other year. So it does seem to be trending that way. In fact, there are many organizations that have been formed just to come around women and say, we're going to build female leaders in the country, in the political portion of the country. And so in that sense, I feel blessed that, yeah, we do have a lot of support women out there running like we've never had before. But I also think that this specific race is interesting because we've seen Gretchen Whitmer be able to really attack men in the past. That's sort of been her signature is to make men u using her gender as a weapon against men. And so I do think that that takes a weapon away from her and that gives us an opportunity to be on a level playing field and say, this is how you ran the state. This is how we plan a state. 
and let people choose. More with GOP gubernatorial candidate Tudor Dixon. Straight ahead. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flood Technology, My Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. 
engineering and IT services at swiftland.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with GOP gubernatorial candidate Tudor Dixon straight ahead. Is this going to be really tough? Because in Michigan, uh, governors historically get a second term. I mean, it's just, it's almost expected that they will win a second term. But did Gretchen Whitmer um, maybe uh, play your cards a little a little wrong on the on the pandemic and a couple of other things and create some negatives that hurt her going into re-election? Well, she has a devastating record, and I think that's the difference here. When we're looking at an incumbent who has a record like Gretchen Whitmer, I mean, we know that she's very nervous. We've heard plenty that they realize that she's the weakest governor in the country right now. And it's, it is the pandemic, but it goes beyond that. I mean, we have a silent majority across the state, especially in our business owners. And really, I think they've been able to talk to the people that work in their companies as well and say, this is what we've been suffering because she's created a bureaucracy that has gone after businesses. So even what you saw during the pandemic goes way beyond that because we have agencies that work for this governor that are not elected officials that are going into companies and citing them and finding them and even just making it challenging to do business. So if you go to Indiana, if your company go to Indiana, you look at Michigan, Indiana is making it much easier to start a new company, break ground, make get those permits signed. In Michigan, it's taking twice and sometimes four times as long to do that just based on this bureaucracy slowing people down. And so the business community is just done. They want to go back to the days where people weren't, the, the government wasn't crushing business, the government was a partner and wanted to see you succeed. You know, you mentioned that, that some of your opponents in the primary, some of the other GOP candidates, were were trying to corner you as the establishment candidate. How much of that has to do with the uh, um, DeVos endorsement, which you've had for some time now? I think they latched on to, wow, we can demonize her. We don't have anything to go after her with, so let's try to demonize her and say that she's establishment based on one of the families in the state that support her with no regard for the diversity of even the people within that family. And think about that. This is a desperate attempt. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my plan (laughs) or the policies that I've talked about. It's because somebody that they went after, the same person that they, the same group of people that they asked for support from who chose to go with my campaign, now they're coming out and saying, because of that, uh, you shouldn't vote for this person. I mean, the, the folks that I know that have met with them are saying, this is embarrassing for these guys to have come and sat down with these same people and said, boy, I'd love to have you come in for my campaign. But now, look, if you don't, I'm going to go after the candidate and say the candidate is a problem because I'm sad that it didn't happen for me. It's like I have four daughters. I have four school-age kids. I mean, it's it's very reminiscent of parenting. (laughs) Um, 
Let's talk a little bit about some of your uh, some of your positions on things because we just have a few minutes and I want to try and get in as uh, as much uh, of an opportunity to get to know you as possible. Um, let's talk about how you might have handled the pandemic differently. Yeah, well, let's take a look at what happened. We had experts coming in. I mean, we've got a group of ER docs in the state that say we begged her to listen to us. She wouldn't listen to experts. We have the Nursing Home Association that sent her a letter early on saying, please don't send positive patients into our nursing homes because they're not ready for this influx of pandemic cases. We have the unemployment system that we knew we couldn't take the fraud alerts off of and have this many people on, and we ended up having $8.5 billion worth of taxpayer money go out when it shouldn't have, and that's lost to the state. Uh, look at schools. We had other states that were opening up and saying, our kids are in school and they're safe. We're not having an influx of cases. The data was there, but she continued to keep kids out of sports, out of school. The, the policies that she had were brutal to the state. The mental health impacts are still hurting us, are still hurting our kids. The education impacts are still hurting our kids. And when we look back at that time, the legislature said, here, we're going to give you $155 million of reading scholarships to get kids back on track. And her team came out and said, oh, this, this smells too much like vouchers. Essentially, we don't want parents to have an involvement. We don't want this opportunity for students so she vetoed it. Now we just got our literacy exams back and we have a 50% failure rate across the state. Think about that. That could have been fixed. That could have been prevented. But she was too selfish to do that. And then we'll, and then let's look at there was an opportunity to reduce taxes on our small businesses in the middle of a pandemic when they're not open. They can't make a profit. She vetoes that. Everything that she has done during the pandemic has just dug a little deeper, hurt a little bit worse. And the, the the data was there to show that she could have made alternate choices and the state could have succeeded and come out in a much better economic position than they than we are. But ultimately, we've lost businesses. I, I think it's a 3,000 restaurants now that we've lost in the state. So she did the significant damage, and we shouldn't forget that. Well, that's that's what she did. What would you do? So I would have listened to those experts. When we talked, we had the... For example, when you have the nursing homes, we had the um, field hospitals set up. We should have worked harder to make sure that we could get the patients into the field hospitals, have a separation, not have our our elderly shut away from their families. With schools, look at the data. We see schools back in session. Parents were begging her to let their students play sports outside and she was saying no listen to people we had the restaurant association go to her and say we have a safe plan other states are using this safe plan to open please let us open the restaurants no response to them whatsoever and the restaurants were closed in michigan longer than any other state so listen to them have trust in your people you know i come from manufacturing so I look back at my time in our shop. We started every meeting with a safety meeting. Safety was of the utmost importance. And in the majority of companies, you have to assume that most of your people want to do the right thing. And so they came to her and said, this is the right thing. This is what we think. No response. We have, we have agencies to make sure nobody does something radical. But when you have companies coming to you and saying, we want to comply, this is our plan to comply with you, please let us do business, and you turn a deaf ear to them, 
that's wrong, and, and I would have done the complete opposite. We had to have trust in our people. I was poking around on your website a little bit, and I was looking at some of the issue positions that you've got set up, and one of the one of the areas uh, is election integrity. And, you know, I have to say, as much as I've made fun of elections over my 40-plus years of voting in them and participating in them, um, it, n- it never really seemed like a uh, a concern until 2020. Did something different happen? Yeah, very significantly different. Obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We've never seen that before. We've never seen the rules loosened the way they were. And there was no time to fight back on that because it was suddenly, you know, people can't go into the to their their local office to vote we've got to give them an alternative so we sent out absentee ballot applications to everyone in the state even though they weren't requested even though people knew i mean we had known there was a pandemic going on for quite a while if they want if they felt they needed an absentee ballot they could have gone the normal channels but that was taken away and they decided to send those out to everybody which was ultimately deemed unlawful by a, a judge but you can't go back in time right So that was one thing that was significantly different. We need to make sure that that can't happen again. We also had money come in from Mark Zuckerberg. And in the state of Michigan, it was the only state where this money came into the state and was funneled into a nonprofit and then funneled from there into Democrat consultants' hands to do what they wish instead of having any government oversight. So where did that money go? You have the combination of absentee ballot applications, $12 million for boots on the ground, and then you reduce the signature match. So the one safeguard we have on our absentee ballots is the signature match. And in fact, Jocelyn Benson herself campaigned on this. Well, we don't need a voter ID because we have the signature match. It's very solid. We will continue to have the signature match. And then she reduced the signature match. So all of that is, is it's just funny business. You know, that you look back at this election and you say, there were so many things that were loosened, so many things that were would have allowed fraud. We can't allow that to happen again. We have to be prepared the next time, and we have to have common sense election law, which is, I mean, these are things that we see in states across the country. We should definitely bring them to Michigan and make sure we don't have this situation where you could ballot harvest, or you don't have to have a voter ID, or you have you open up the voter rolls and put people back on that have been cleaned already. The, the voter rolls need to be cleaned up and make sure that we have only the people that are voting on the voter rolls. Well, Tudor, I feel our our time has just flown by, and I, I feel like we're just scratching the surface, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your positions. Um, do you have a website you'd like to share? Yes, I do. It is TudorDixon.com. It's T-U-D-O-R-D-I-X-O-N. Dot com And we have our policy goals on there. We have our 25 by 25 plan. It's 25 concrete policy goals that we plan to enact by 2025. So check it out and you'll see what we're all about. Well, Tudor, it was a pleasure meeting you. Thanks so much for spending this time with me and the listeners. And uh, good luck to you. Thank you. Have a great day. Take care. Again, that was uh, Tudor Dixon. And she is one of five GOP candidates that will be on the August 2nd ballot for governor of the state of Michigan. And uh, she'd like to get through the uh, through the primary coming up in a couple of weeks and, and go on and take on Gretchen Whitmer. With that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. From the Tom Sumner Show. 
trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.